Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Welcome to the Merrick's podcast. I am Claudia Wessling, Director of Communications and Publications at Mercator Institute for China Studies. And today I am joined by Bert Hoffman, the Director of the East Asian Institute at National University of Singapore, and Merrick's Executive Director Miku Huatari to talk about the Chinese government's drive for common prosperity. This podcast is actually a part of a small series we're doing on China's changing economic model and politics. We have invited experts from all over the world to discuss with us the concepts of the Communist Party, one of the most prominent at the moment being that of common prosperity. And just recently at the World Economic Forum in Davos, uh, China's President Xi Jinping explained why striving for common prosperity is so important for China. The policy, she said, is aimed at narrowing the widening wealth gap, which could threaten the Communist Party's rules if left unaddressed. Um, he also stressed the common prosperity he desires is not equivalent to egalitarianism, however. But China wanted to make the pie bigger and then divide it properly through reasonable institutional arrangements, as she put it. Now, that still sounds a bit vague and abstract and Miko, if I may throw my first question at you, where does Steiner stand on its common prosperity drive at the moment? How central is it really? And what has happened so far? I think it's quite remarkable how much has happened since August when she gave his speech on common prosperity at the tenth meeting of the Central Finance and Economics Affairs Commission on August 17. Indeed, the speech that was then published in October last year. So there's a flurry and diversity of policies that are being associated with that idea of common prosperity. Yeah. We'll get to the core of it, but I think it's important to recognize that you know, it's quite a cloud of things that are being attached to that. The crackdown in the private sector, the launch of a multi-year property tax pilot program, limits on the hours that tax sector employees can work, banning for-profit tutoring core school subjects, limits for minors, how much time they can spend in playing video games. And all of that, you know, is somehow associated with the idea. But I think what we are now witnessing is that the central core of that is coming more to the front and center. And you see, for instance, if provinces at the moment drafting their plans for the coming months, They're looking at mechanisms to increase labor income and change the wealth distribution. Zhejiang is setting up databases to identify low and middle income groups and experiment with ways to improve their living conditions. Or the quest for affordable rental housing, where we see quite a lot of new policies coming out at the moment. So I consider this to be more central to the idea, but even that is probably not what in the long run will define common prosperity. It's probably more about long-term tax policy changes and other issues related to that, the social policy program more broadly. So we have somehow seen, you know, a cloud, a flurry of things that are being associated with this, somewhat of a storm in many ways. And we've seen what is quite typical for Chinese policy process, I would argue, a period of conceptual contestation, clarification, even pushback. So when Xi Jinping today says what common prosperity is not and what it, it tends to be, this also points to, I think, internal debates that maybe we are not seeing all of them, but it is something that is being worked out at the moment. So we'll see more in the run-up to the party congress later this year. 
and eradicating absolute poverty is the job that has been done. What is now, I think, the agenda is much more ambitious redistribution policies, where the Chinese leadership probably at this moment still doesn't really know what the exact content of that will be. A complex issue and uh, apparently not uncontested in China itself. Bert, you have also done quite a bit of work on China, also in your previous function as a country director on China at the World Bank. And you have published on economic reform and social policies in China. What do you think? Why is she promoting this concept of common prosperity now at this moment? Last year was the year in which China eradicated absolute poverty, which was a big plank in the Xiaokang or the moderately prosperous society, which was officially achieved. That achievement was a big part of, if you want, the performance legitimacy of the Communist Party. So once you've done that, what are you going to do next? There's the long-term goal of the rejuvenation of the Chinese nation, but this is a, a next good goal to achieve for increasing the welfare of people. The banner of common prosperity is, if you want, the new goal. And then there's lots of debate about what comes under that banner, as Miko has said. I think Miko took a very broad definition. Uh, the definition is, uh, according to she, is a bit more narrow, but it is about income distribution. It's about wealth distribution, but it's creating a broader middle class. It's about equalizing public services in urban and rural areas. So a lot of things that you can actually agree with. And you say, well, this is delivering for the Chinese people. The second why now is also a little bit political. Last year was the 100th anniversary. This year is uh, the year of the 20th Party Congress. And I do think that Xi Jinping is trying to shore up the more some popular support for his aim to get another term as uh, general secretary of the Communist Party. And I think it's pretty much there, but this further enhances the support for setting new policy goals that find broad support uh, among the population. I can imagine that this is really a very broad project also, but Bert, maybe you could elaborate a little bit on which measures exactly or which instruments she and the Communist Party will use to make this common prosperity a reality at some point. It's very interesting because, well, definitely I have a different opinion than Xi Jinping on that. And what she has and, and the Central Economic Work Conference has emphasized that this is not about creating a, a social welfare system. This is not about tax and spend. This is about growing the pie and this is about regulating the market so that the better income distribution comes out. Personally, I have some doubts whether that will actually succeed. The reason being is that China's market outcomes are relatively unequal, but actually not as unequal as some of the European countries that are known for their common prosperity, if you want, for their very egalitarian outcomes. But that only happens after fiscal redistribution. China has very little of that, and they seem to shy away from it for now. I can understand that given their level of income, which is still relatively low, it's at $12,000 per capita, which is only a quarter of the average OECD country and a fifth of the US. So, so they still want to grow and having too much taxation may get in the way. But at the same time, it's not that clear what then the measures will be that will bring that common prosperity. Miko has mentioned a few that help at the margin, maybe to relieve the burden on the middle class so that they don't have to spend as much 
on the education of their children. There's probably going to be more access to childcare and maybe a little bit in, in the health insurance where there is some room to play. But really the, the, the big redistributions that you see in more equal countries is not yet part of the plan. So the question is then, how far will the goal of common prosperity be achieved? But it's a long-term goal. It's not happening tomorrow. It's not happening next year. Probably something like 2035 might be a good target day to achieve something which then will be declared that common prosperity is achieved. Yeah, it's always good if you're the master of definitions to tell people what common prosperity is at the end of the day. Miko, may I get your opinion on when looking at Beijing's measures, what you consider weaknesses of the common prosperity drive? I would probably mention three things. Uh, one is there's just so many conflicting policy goals at the moment. We have massive downward pressure on the economy. The Central Economic Work Conference prioritizes stability first. The question of private sector growth that should be underpinning, I, I think, um, still the future of China's prosperity, I, I think is quite questionable at the moment in many ways. Um, so to what extent the leadership actually has the capacity to deal with all of these structural pressures it's facing and then add to that a quite ambitious agenda would be a daunting task for quite a few governments across the world. Um, Second weakness, I, I think, is that sloganeering and attaching your political future to big ideas can always go wrong, right? So reality is a very stubborn thing, and certainly entrenched inequality in China is. It's very much built into the system and its development model at the moment, I would argue. So it's a big promise um, that uh, she needs to deliver on, and the core challenge here probably is that the social progress agenda um, can become a, a more of a downward convergence story, maybe than an upward convergence story. So at, at the center, probably, and that's the third point, this is about the political economy uh, of all of this. Um, so who wins and who loses? And what, what does it mean for the support and the legitimacy of the leadership in the coming months and years? And losers are probably, and that's what the leadership at least rhetorically wants to avoid those that have benefited most uh, from the past two decades and have accepted um, leadership under such conditions. So when party leaders that are close to Xi Jinping talk about reasonable adjustments of excess incomes or describing the private sector as, you know, the driver of common prosperity, this can mean many things, but it also creates a sense of fear in certain parts of the population that have actually benefited a lot from China's growth story in the past. And the question what they will think about common prosperity and how they feel at home in such a system that puts a prime target on that, I think that that is um, still a big one that the leadership needs to resolve. Yeah, so a lot of tension from both sides, actually. Um, she, she promising less inequality to the ones who are not as good off yet and billionaires or very rich people feeling maybe threatened by the concept. Um, Bert, what would be your take? Where do you see the biggest risks of Xi maybe not delivering on his promise or actually delivering and um, antagonizing other parts of, of the population? So Miko has already started delving into the, into the risk if you want, but one of the issues that I see with the common prosperity agenda is good old Deng Xiaoping seeking truth from facts. Because if you look at the facts, that China's income inequality has actually come down over the past decade, and that China's wealth inequality, despite the fact that there are now many billionaires, is actually 
not as unequal as many other countries. As far as the data are available, you find that the inequality measures for wealth inequality are actually fairly low, or fairly average, I would say, for China. Second, the policies being discussed are unlikely to meet the goal. The big instrument that is being promoted is to do more in philanthropy. Well, it's a great thing, and China should have more. There's no question about it. It's not very high in China. China is at a stage where you would expect to see more philanthropy. I think more has happened than the rhetoric would uh, would admit. But but even uh, the most philanthropic country, which happens to be my home country, the Netherlands, spends 0.9% of GDP on philanthropy. Uh, the United States, a relatively unequal, big philanthropic society, 0.4% of GDP. So that's not negligible and a lot more than China, but it's not the end all. The measures that would bring a lot more common prosperity, better education systems in the rural areas, abolition, not a modification, abolition of the hukou system that keeps people in places where they uh, are having far less chances to get more prosperous, are very big issues that uh, where China hasn't been as successful in the past and that are politically very difficult. Personal income taxation, a very obvious one. China's current taxation system relies a lot on a value-added tax. It's a wonderful tax. It's a very efficient tax, but it's also a tax that relatively puts more burden on poor people who consume more out of their income than rich people. So you must complement that with a bigger personal income tax in order to correct some of the inequalities. These are, as Miko said, very difficult decisions uh, to make with quite a bit of opposition from the established urban middle class that uh, Xi Jinping would like to grow. So there, there's still some, some, some real contradictions to resolve, if you want. And fair enough, it is early days. And as Miko said, this is by now a concept that will gradually grow feet. And at some point we will have a package of measures that will make it much more concrete. If I look at the timing, you would say, well, the 20th Party Congress and then maybe the, the third plenum of the Central Committee, one or two years after that, would maybe have a package of measures that would aim more at this common prosperity target. So a lot of tasks to solve and a lot of difficult policy problems also still on the table for Chinese government. Let me maybe move away from the purely domestic analysis of the common prosperity drive, Miko. It is domestically focused, that's clear. Um, but are there any global implications that you would see from this ambition China has? Well, first of all, I think global implications will stem from the fact or the, the changes in the domestic political economy that um, will result from it. So global investors will look at China differently if a common prosperity project gains traction and changes the way how consumers spend money and changes the way how insurance systems work, etc. So I think that is probably the biggest structural impact that we should expect. It's the externalities of um, how China's domestic political economy works. But we should also recognize that um, the Chinese leadership will probably make this a, a central theme for their engagement specifically with the developing world. And it's been said already quite loudly. So the president of the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences um, 
has said that common prosperity you know is a completely new choice for other developing countries and that china will provide inspiration for human society to achieve freedom and all around human development so um yes it will be part of the if i may say propaganda package that the chinese leadership will be putting out for developing countries and that needs to be taken seriously in some ways because china has become increasingly comfortable in in its efforts to present and export its state centered political and economic model globally I'm not saying it will draw too much attention in the advanced economies um, but certainly the attempt to welcome these issues seriously will gather attention abroad so i would expect it's probably not a positive example with regard to fairer distribution of income wealth across the world um, clearly not but politically it will be used as an instrument also to shape relations with developing countries but also we have to recognize that you earlier said um, there has been a lot of progress indeed i agree uh, certainly the urban rural income gap has been shrinking quite substantively but if i get the figures right here i think the urban income inequality has actually been growing over the past years again so it's a problem that keeps on shifting around i think the chinese leadership is making progress on some of these fronts but it is a big big construction site for the leadership so they will be hesitant to actually be too prominent in in putting that out you know as the new belt and road initiative or something like that most likely not going to happen Yeah, it seems like it remains to be seen if the world out there takes China as the big example in promoting more equality or common prosperity. And Bert, how would you see that? Is What are the global implications and could China maybe indeed serve as a model for more equality, better wealth distribution in developing countries, but maybe even in countries like ours where we also see widening gaps, especially during the corona crisis? Look, until common prosperity came, it was Deng Xiaoping, some may get rich first. And clearly, common prosperity came on the agenda because income inequalities are relatively high, not very high compared to other higher middle income countries, but they're relatively high. So it's a concern for, for China. The, the better examples are Japan, Korea, the economy of Taiwan that has a much more equal market outcome than China. They have also relatively limited redistribution through the fiscal system, but a much more equal market outcome. That requires an enormous amount of investment in people. It requires a free mobility of people, uh, a number of the things that China does not have. So I, it's very hard to see that th this would actually be uh, an example for developing countries. It's if you want the, the previous incarnation of the Chinese model with marketization with reform and opening up is probably a better model for many developing countries to grow faster than they currently do. One last more overarching question. What does this whole agenda of pushing common prosperity tell us about the trajectory Xi Jinping's China is on? From a pure economic point of view, it's fairly clear that China will be somewhat more equal by 2035 than it is now. And the main driver of that will be labor scarcity. You don't need to do much for that. This will be labor scarcity. And relatively speaking, labor will get a larger share in the economy and the wages uh, will grow more rapidly than GDP. How much of a difference that makes that I cannot predict, but there will be some of that. If in addition, you do take some of the measures that Miko and I have been discussing concrete measures that actually do help in reducing inequalities, you'll probably come out with a more equal society 
down the line. So in that sense, I think the, the risk of not succeeding is fairly low. The question is a little bit, what does it mean for the growth agenda? And, and I, but I almost see common prosperity sort of more at the end of that discussion, because China is now moving to a different growth model, almost by necessity. So because the high reliance on investment has brought its own problems, we've seen it in the real estate sector, but you see it also in infrastructure, There's lots of infrastructure currently being built that may not be as useful as the infrastructure built 10 years ago. So they need to move away from this investment model to indeed a more productivity driven growth. Very difficult. China will probably succeed, but growth will be quite a bit lower as a result of that. Actual growth will be closer to potential growth and, and that will be quite a bit lower than in the past. So that common prosperity agenda will be politically very important to demonstrate the state has a very important role. Uh, the Communist Party of China has a leading role in shaping this agenda. And, and so the, the legitimacy uh, motivation for such an agenda is as important as if you want the more economic factors at work. Yeah, it's, a, it's the promise of a functioning social contract. It's a political platform. So in, in many ways, that's quite interesting, right? Because maybe some Western observers would assume that Xi Jinping doesn't need that internally, but he needs that promise. And as China you know, is moving towards high income status formally, internally, it's quite clear how much more it still has to do to actually shape that functioning social contract um, for the next decade and beyond that. Um, so in many ways, I think it's, it's a sign of a functioning system. First, because the leadership is tackling the right problems, um, whether they're finding the right solutions is a different question. It's also, in many ways, a sign that policies you know, co are continuously adjusted, pruned, discussed, shaped behind the doors maybe sometimes. But Again, there is a debate about the right approach for social policy in China that we have to take extremely seriously and uh, where possible, obviously, also support that agenda. But I, I think it also shows it, it's a critical decade for China ahead. And it's quite a thing to rewrite the social contract. And the leadership is in its um, political ambitions that are associated with it, not too firm. And it is something that will be contested internally, as Bert pointed out, with the downward pressure on growth adding to that problem. So I think common prosperity is an expression of a system that is under stress in many ways, where the leadership is trying to find its way, finding the new corridors in which the, the system can march. But in many ways, it is going to be extremely contested and a difficult thing to achieve. So the CCP looking at a very challenging decade, Good for us because there will be a lot of research to be done um, on our sites, Bert Hoffman at the East Asian Institute at National University of Singapore and over here at Merricks. Um, Miko and Bert, uh, thank you very much for being here today, for your insights. Dear listeners out there, as I said in the beginning, this is the part of our series on common prosperity and you can find more podcast shows on the topic with seasoned China watchers like Barry Norton, Isabella Weber and Sarah Eaton. Talking to colleagues of Merricks, I recommend those pieces very much. Stay tuned also because there's more in the pipeline. Wishing everyone a good day. Goodbye. You have been listening to Merricks Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.